So I made an aquascaping shopping list and you can download it at aquascapingpodcast.com. And the original episode went through each item uh, in detail, uh, but I think there's too many details there. So um, on this show, we're just going to go through some of the items that are more important and kind of discuss those and uh, maybe give you some things to think about as you're planning your next project. So if you just go over to aquascapingpodcast.com, you could download the full shopping list that has all the items on it. Uh, It'll help you budget out and uh, set your expectations uh, for your next project. And uh, aquarium, yeah, that's gonna, that's what we're going to talk about first here. And uh, you know, what size, what style, these are things to think about. Uh, and to help us out, I'm going to bring on Sean McBride, uh, aka Shadow Mac from the forums. If you've uh, if you're if you're online, you might have seen him there. I met him on AquascapingWorld.com. Uh, some helpful people there helped me out with my first scape. Um, definitely a place to check out. And um, yeah, so he's a, a genius in the planted tank arena. Uh, he will definitely not take that t- title. He's too modest. Uh, but I think of him uh, in that way. So he has a lot to say. He's very helpful. Um, he's a good guy. So let's jump over to our conversation uh, with Sean and see what he has to say. What size tank do you recommend um, somebody to kind of to kind of work with for an aquascape? Do you, do you recommend going bigger, say like you know fifty five gallon, or, or stay smaller, like more towards fifteen to twenty? Or you know, I see a lot of these really small ones, like two and a half gallon. Um, what's kind of like a good range uh, for aquascaping? I think it depends upon your goals as an aquascaper. And so, if you want to you want to become a really proficient aquascaper, um, making a lot of really neat. Uh, different aquascapes and try different things. I think, you know, staying small isn't a bad idea because it's easier to maintain. It's easier to take down and put up a new scape. Uh, and it's cheaper too. And it's cheaper, exactly. And so um, if your goal is to really kind of learn how to be a proficient scaper and do it, um, you know, you need to do a lot of different scapes. You need to scape over and over and over again. Um, and so a smaller tank can help you do that. Now, the challenges of a smaller tank is it's a lot harder to maintain um, the balance within a small tank. It's easier to overdose CO2. Um, you know, it's easy to throw too much light over it, things like that. Um, so if you go bigger, you know, if you want to start out big, that's okay too. Um, but just know you're not going to get as many scapes in cause it's going to take a lot more time for that tank to, to mature. Um, it's going to be uh, more demanding of your time, um, but it's going to be more stable. And so, that's the advantage of going bigger. I started with a 20 gallon. Um, I think anywhere between, uh, you know, a 10 gallon tank, a 20 gallon tank. Um, I like to recommend, I mean, those 60 centimeter, uh, tanks, uh, the rimless ones are nice versus the rim tanks because they have a greater front to back depth. So scaping looks better in them. Yeah. Uh, but a standard 10 gallon rim tank isn't bad and it's not expensive. And so, um, that's a good place to start too. 10 or 20 gallons. If you want a little bigger, uh, if you want to go bigger than that, the 40 gallon breeder tanks that are rim tanks are not too expensive. Um, but I wouldn't start, start out going with a hundred gallon tank thinking you're going to put a big old beautiful aquascape in it. That's going to be a long haul, especially if your goal is to be a proficient, um, good aquascaper, the more scapes you do in a period of time, the better you're going to get. Okay, so next up is CO2. Now, this one's a big one, and it wasn't even on my radar when I first got into aquascaping. Um, My only uh, idea of what a planted tank needed was more lighting. 
And if you're in that same boat, uh, you might be in for kind of a shock when you look at the price tags of some of these CO2 regulators. Um, but I have to say that CO2 is probably one of the most important things in the aquarium, whether you go the DIY method or pressurized, um, the benefits of it are, you know, you, you can't deny it. Uh, I think it would be silly not to include it in an aquascape uh, just because the benefits are so great. You can get away without it if you want to save money. Uh, but why? Uh, you know, if you're trying to make an aquascape like something you see online, you know, this is one of those things that's going to get you there. Uh, and uh, if you haven't thought about it yet, I would definitely budget that into your list. Um, it's an important one and the benefits are really good. What would you say to somebody uh, who, who's maybe just uh, starting out um, and thinking about CO2 and, and debating that and kind of going back and forth and not sure if they want to pull the trigger on a CO2 setup? Um, what would be your advice uh, to them? The first question would be, how serious are they about getting into the hobby and what are, what are their goals for the tank? Um, CO2 is probably the best purchase you can make for a healthy, successful aquascape. I mean, that's the place to really spend your money. You can spend less on substrate. There's several good substrates out there that aren't as expensive as aqua soil. Uh, I love aqua soil, but you don't have to use it. There's other options out there. Um, just like lighting as well. You mentioned you have a DIY light. Um, a lot of people have some really cool DIY LED builds that do a great job of growing plants and they cost a fraction of what the commercial lights do. So CO2 is the best place to spend your money. You're going to see the best improvement for adding just CO2, even to a tank that doesn't need CO2. So like a, a low light, low tech tank that doesn't need CO2. If you put CO2 on it, you're going to see better growth. And so I think that is, that's the place I really encourage people to, to spend their money. If they have a limited budget, um, look at how you can make pressurized CO2 work. Right. So if you're online and you're checking out these aquascapes by, you know, you know, there's so many people now with amazing aquascapes. Um, if you want to create anything even close to that, you know, uh, arena, I guess, or I can't think of the right word, but uh, you're going to definitely want to use CO2. There are very, very few, I think, that are phenomenal scapes that people think of when they when they Google aquascaping or when they see professional aquascapers that aren't running pressurized CO2. There are very few. And I have seen, I've seen people make some really great tanks with DIY eCO2 or the citric acid method. Um, but I've always said, especially with eCO2, those great tanks running higher light, red stems um, and HC, those are exceptions to the rule. Uh, most of us aren't going to be successful doing that because we're just not as diligent as as DIY CO2 requires. You know, we're not always going to change the mixture or turn it on the same time every day. Um, so those types of things cause instability, cause poor growth, and then you get algae. And so pressurized CO2 is definitely where it's at if you want to get one of those big, beautiful scapes um, that you, you've probably been eyeballing on your computer. Yeah. Definitely. And even, even if you are diligent, even if you are a diligent person uh, and, you, and you do keep on it right in the beginning, there is going to at some point be a, a drop off n no matter what. So, it, you know, it, it makes more sense to invest that money right up front. Uh, you're going to save yourself some trouble and uh, you're not going to regret it. Yeah. And I think invest in a good system, too, because even with pressurized CO2, there's there's gradients in how on a, on a quality system. 
and kind of a, a cheaper system. And those differences are going to make your life a lot easier if you have a good regulator that's not going to have problems with pressure change as the tank empties. You have a good needle valve that's going to be easy to adjust and maintain a consistent bubble rate. You know, those things are, are going to save you a lot of trouble if you spend the money up front on them. Um, because I guarantee eventually if you are in the hobby for long, you're going to want a really good system and you're just going to spend that money over again on a better system. If you get a regulator that doesn't handle the pressure changes because you're going to end up with a CO2 flood in your tank when it empties out uh, and you're going to have gas fish or you're going to have to be tweaking the bubble uh, rate every day because you can't get your needle valve to sit in the same spot. And that's going to be a headache. You're going to get tired of it. So I always recommend, you know, that's where you really try to get a quality CO2 regulator and needle valve. Right. So it's important to work that into the budget right in the beginning. Um, because I know for me, uh, that, that was definitely the most expensive thing I bought. I mean, the tank, the lights, almost everything together, uh, added up to be the same amount I spent on the CO2 regulator. So, and when I first came in and I went online just to check them out, I was like, well, you know, I couldn't even imagine spending two or $300 you know, on, on, on a CO2 regulator. But, you know, as I've come to learn, it's definitely uh, worth it. Yeah, it definitely is. And it, it is a hard thing to kind of wrap your head around when you first come into the hobby that you're going to buy a piece of equipment that expensive because everything else you probably bought has been a fraction of that. Your whole system may not be that much. Right. Um, but it is, yeah, it is. Um, it's worth its weight in gold to some extent if you want yeah. a great aquascape. All right, lighting. Now, you know, when I first got into this, I could not find any place online uh, that had just a concise breakdown of what exactly I really needed. Um, and, you know, there's a couple resources. I, I have to give credit to Scapefu. Uh, that podcast, you know, they, they kind of broke it down into a digestible chunk, so I was able to wrap my head around it. But, you know, I'm a kind of, I'm, I'm a simple guy. You know, I don't want to go online and get a, uh, you know, an online degree in lighting just to uh, purchase a, a setup for my uh, aquascape. Um, I want it to kind of be simple. And uh, really what I've learned uh, through my experience and through what I've read online and through resources like ScapeFu uh, is that lighting more or less is just the gas pedal um, to your aquascape. It's going to kind of regulate how fast things grow. And the more light that you have, the more CO2 you're going to need uh, and other elements in the tank. Um, but just think of it that way. There are definitely plants that need a higher light. You know, if you're growing HC or something like that and you need it to carpet, higher light is definitely going to help. Um, but maybe you don't need as much as everybody says online. I think it might be slightly overrated. Um, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> That's just my thought. Um, in my experience so far. But let's jump over to our conversation with Sean uh, and see what he has to say on the subject. One of the questions I had, I, you know, and I actually still have um, kind of debating myself is, is lighting. How important is lighting and light output? Um, you know, when I was, when I was researching, you know, what light should I get for my aquarium for planted tanks? Uh, you know, I was like stressing myself out cause, cause, cause I thought I needed like this super high output thing to get anything to carpet. Um, cause I had no experience. I had no, nothing to base it off of. Um, and I'm learning now that maybe lighting, at least the output of it, uh, might be slightly overrated and I could use less of it and, and balance it out with the CO2. 
So what's your take on lighting and, uh, and where we are right now with that? Uh, I think you're right there with lighting. A lot of people focus a lot on the light and they kind of forget that light is how fast your tank is going to go. That is the throttle to the whole system. And so if you're going to go really fast, you know, you're going to need the other things to go along with it, um, like pressurized CO2, a good fertilizing regimen, and, and probably a very good substrate. Um, without those things, you're going to crash and burn. And I think it, a lot of people coming in, they want to throw a lot of light at a tank because, like you said, that's the thing they think of as the big difference between my non-planted tank and now my my aquascape is the light. Um and people would be surprised at how successful you can be with lower light setups, with cheaper light setups. Um, you can accomplish a lot with them. And you'll find that some of the grizzled old veterans, um, they start to back off light quite a bit. You know, they're not running super high light tanks and they're getting great scapes because they're picking good plants um, and they're running lower light so that it's manageable. Uh, you can get good growth without algae. You don't have to trim it every week, those types of things. And so that tends to be a sign of, of an experienced aquascaper. When you start to see them leave behind those hard-to-grow stems um, and some of those other plants and the really high light, that's something a lot of new people really try to chase is how much light can I throw on a tank? Um, and it's not – it's like walking the knife's edge. Because even if you're doing it well, one thing goes wrong, something tweaks your CO2 a little bit, maybe your filter gets clogged up and slows down, anything can happen, and suddenly the tank starts to uh, degrade. So I've said a long time that in an aquascape, good things happen slowly, bad things happen quickly. Yeah, and I think even even Amano, I think if I remember correctly, just from the book that I got, that he used a lot of uh, easy to grow plants, and it seems like uh, his lighting was wasn't that high of an output either. So it seems like he was kind of going uh, maybe a little more slow than some of the even just the people coming into it right now. And uh, and he it looked like he tend to use a lot of easy to grow plants. Yeah, he did. And I think that that's definitely a sign of an experienced uh, aquascaper is they know the plants that that grow well, will look nice and don't need a lot of light because then you can grow different variations of plants. You know, if you're throwing a lot of light at stems, it's might be hard to get some Anubias in there without getting algae all over their leaves. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I think a big sign, uh, try to think where I was going to go with this. Yeah, no, no. I mean, even even for myself, I, I recently took I got my par meter back and I was taking some measurements of where my different lights were, and you know, they weren't as bright as I thought they were. Um, especially my main display tank, I turned it up because that's I'm still at that stage, I think. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a big difference between the tube lights, the the fluorescent tubes, and LEDs. LEDs are packing a punch these days, and I definitely saw that. Yeah. When I took my par meter, I mean, they really, and they can pack a punch without looking bright. And that's something to remember too, is par, um, photosynthetically active radiation, as opposed to lux or lumens. Uh, I think lumens particularly, uh, it, which is how bright we perceive it. That's different, you know, and, and we can see a bright light, but the plants may not be responding the same way. It might be lower par. Whereas some of these LEDs can look dim, but they're putting out more par than, than a comparatively bright fluorescent light. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, I, I have a DIY setup here, and I have two 10 watt uh, LED uh floodlights and they look bright and i think they're even bright <laughs> i think the par that's coming out is e- even more so yeah i think 20 watts of led light is 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 overkill for a 10 gallon tank i'm learning but um you know i'm still i'm still dealing with it i'm still you know it's still everything's fine i'm not i don't have an overgrowth of algae or anything but i probably have too much well the the rule of thumb everyone was familiar with and it probably still run into when you come into the tank is um, three watts per gallon is high light. Right. Well, that was based upon the old older tubes. I mean, pre T five high output tubes. So you know T eights, T twelves, and then as we've gotten better lights, the T fives that you know they've said two watts per gallon, and then with LEDs, I mean they're starting to say you know one and a half watts per gallon, and you're 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 good. Yeah, and so it just shows the power of LEDs. Um, since when these some of these rules of thumb that people operate by uh, were first made, don't apply anymore. And right. it'd be nice if we could get manufacturers to start talking about PAR and the spread and 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 showing some graphs of that because that's helpful to hobbyists, especially those who want to grow light or grow plants with their light. Any advice for beginners? Say. Somebody who's just getting into the hobby, they're debating it. Maybe it seems, maybe they're thinking, wow, this maybe is too complicated for me to do or, or doubting it. Um, do you have any advice for them? Uh, I think the biggest thing is to start slow uh, and, and maintain realistic expectations um, and, and approach each problem or trip up or, or, or hurdle as, as a learning moment, uh, a teaching point, because no one's going to get to the end, you know, of the best tank the, right away. You know, it's going to take some time and it's going to take some practice, but that should be part of the fun. You know, it should be, the learning process should be enjoyable. Uh, and if you enjoy that part of the hobby, then you're going to do well and you're going to get there. And to remember that you're going to get there as long as you keep uh, keep trying. Right, right. Yeah, you don't become a, a world-class aquascaper overnight, but that doesn't mean uh, you're not going to enjoy the entire process. Yeah, start out with, uh, I think, start out with some low light, some low-tech plants like Cryptocorines, uh, maybe some swords if you have a bigger tank, uh, Anubius, uh, Bulbitis, uh, Java Fern, uh, Mosses. There's a lot of things out there that you can grow without CO2 and just see how you do. Um, go slow. And you can have some really neat tanks, low tech, even without CO2, as long as you control your lighting. Um, So go slow and then maybe add CO2 later, but don't up the lighting. You know, as soon as we start up in the lighting, we're demanding more of the tank and more of ourselves. And so be ready to make that step. Um, And then I think you'll do well. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you got something out of it. Uh, there's plenty more to come uh, in the future. Uh, I have a huge list. Um, somehow I filled up an entire notepad worth of notes. Uh, most of it's garbage. <laughs> but some of it, I think, uh, is, is interesting. And uh, I think uh, there's something there. Aquascapingpodcast.com. That'll get you show notes and information. Uh, check the show notes for this episode to download the aquascaping shopping list. Uh, that'll help you budget and plan for your next aquascaping um, adventure. Uh, you can also email me at aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.